Thank you for being here. It's a great day, isn't it? My wife returns tonight. It's a great day. Finally get to uh, have maybe a decent meal. Um, I've survived since Thursday. Turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. We're going to be kind of rapid fire going through some scriptures. You don't have to turn to all of them. Uh, you can listen if you'd like. If you're uh, you know, wanting to kind of test your Bible knowledge of where certain books are, you can, you can follow along. Judges chapter 13, starting in verse 2, reads, There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful to drink wine, not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now I want you to notice what Samson's mother was commanded to abstain from. She was commanded to abstain from alcohol, right? Now medical studies have shown without question that when a pregnant woman drinks alcohol, it's quickly transferred to the fetus so that the blood alcohol content in the mother is the same as in the fetus. God's instruction concerning alcohol was to protect the unborn, right? Not only that, I want you to notice that Samson was also a Nazarite while unborn. That's interesting, isn't it? The Lord said that he shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, right? Okay, so Ruth chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now, if you use the King James Version, it gives a more literal translation that reads, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. Conception is a gift from God. And with conception, of course, comes a child. Because that's where life begins. Look at Job chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. It says, Your hands fashioned and made me altogether, and, and you would destroy me? Remember now that you have made me as clay, and you would turn me into dust again? Do you not pour out me, or do you not pour me out like milk and, and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews? Skin starts to form in layers in the 18th week of pregnancy. Bones appear in week 13. Job was Job even while unborn. Notice that he refers to himself as me. He says, you fashioned and made me. You have made me as clay. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit me together with bones and sinews. Throughout Job's development in the womb, he was Job. He was a me. 
Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, a popular passage of Scripture. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah existed in the mind of God before he was ever conceived. He was set apart with a purpose. God had a plan for him even while he was growing and developing in his mother's womb. Jeremiah was a child of God, a man of God, even before his birth. In Luke's gospel, we see the birth of John the baptizer foretold. And in chapter 1, verse 15, it reads, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Clearly, clearly the life of John did not begin once he was born, right? Scripture tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. In, in, in what stage of development would he receive the Holy Spirit? Would it be only in the third trimester when he was considered viable? God didn't see a need to make that distinction or to draw arbitrary lines of viability because that's the work of man, not God. Life is life to God. From conception to birth and beyond is the same life. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, it says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for baby is the word brephos. And incidentally, it's the same word that is used for Jesus in Luke chapter 2 and verse 12, which reads, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Notice that baby or, or brephos that is spoken of here is a newborn out of the mother's womb. Brephos is used for both a baby in the womb and a baby out of the womb. Did you notice that? No distinction is made. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 26, we find that Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, conceived. But the children struggled within her womb, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So although the children were unborn, they were still children. And the Hebrew word that's used for children in speaking of the two that are in Rebekah's womb is the same word that is used for Keturah's children in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 4, who had already been born. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and following, Paul writes, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. It, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Paul, like Jeremiah, John the baptizer, was set apart before he was even born. God had a plan and a purpose for him, and that plan and that purpose originated in the mind of God even before his birth. Now, if you look at Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, it reads, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. The Hebrew word for inward parts literally translates kidneys. The kidneys are formed in the first 13 weeks of pregnancy. If you have the King James, you notice that it reads, for thou hast possessed my reins or inward parts. The word possessed in Hebrew is the word kana. And if you follow this word, in the 84 times that it's used in the Old Testament, you will find that it means to acquire, to buy something or to own something. You are owned by God, which means the my body, my choice thing falls apart. That baby in you belongs to God. You belong to God. There is possession by God. He possesses you because he fashioned you. And in the context of this psalm, we see that God owns and possesses the unborn. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. The depths of the earth here is a metaphor for the deepest concealment or the mother's womb. Your eyes have formed or have seen my unformed substance. The Hebrew word for unformed substance is the word golem. Any guess what golem means? It means embryo. A baby is called an embryo in the first eight weeks of development. What we did is just walk through a few scriptures that show beyond the shadow of a doubt that a life, any life, is viable and valuable. You go back to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 21, beginning in verse 22, you read these words. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge, judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Do you know what this passage is describing? An abortion. And you say, well, Chris, where do you get that? Well, because the definition, the medical definition of an abortion is the premature exit of the products of conception. The fetus, the fetal membranes, placenta from the uterus. It is the loss of a pregnancy and does not refer to why the pregnancy was lost. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, we have a hypothetical presented by Moses and, 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 and God's instructions on how that situation should be handled should it occur. If two men are fighting... And they strike a woman who is with child. Notice that the biblical translation does not say with fetus. It says with child. Child in the Hebrew is the same word with the same meaning, whether the child is in the womb or out of the womb. If two men, while fighting, strike a pregnant woman, causing her to give birth prematurely. Again, if you use the King James, it says so that her fruit depart her. He shall be punished. If neither the woman nor the child were harmed, then the law of Moses levied a fine against the perpetrator that that caused the premature birth. But if there is any further injury, if any other mischief follow, as the King James reads it, or death results from the brawl, then the law imposed was a parallel punishment. The womb was no different than the taking of life outside the womb. In other words, God views life as life. 
The unborn child is considered viable in utero and entitled to the same legal protection and benefits of a child outside the womb. And the reason why is because we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Only an inability to appreciate the uniqueness and awesomeness of human life permits one to conclude that there is ever a time when a baby is not really a baby. And there is never a time that a precious child is not viable and valuable to God. Medical school professor tells his students, And I quote, I want your opinion on the termination of a pregnancy. He said, let's say the father had syphilis and the mother had tuberculosis. Of the four children they already had, the first one was born blind, the second one died, and the third one was deaf and dumb. The fourth one had tuberculosis. What would you have done with the next pregnancy? And one student without hesitation said, I would kill it. I would have ended that pregnancy as quickly as possible. And the professor responds, congratulations, you just killed Beethoven. If God sets us apart, while even in the mother's womb, it makes me wonder the potential that we have destroyed through abortion. I wonder out of the millions upon millions that have been killed since Roe v. Wade, could any of them have cured cancer? Could one of them been the greatest preacher to ever stand in a pulpit? How many of them would have grown up to be dynamic Christians, instrumental in spreading the gospel? You think of all the potential that has been destroyed since Roe v. Wade. Potential that God fearfully and wonderfully made. You are an indescribable gift. And I can prove it. Two things from Scripture prove that you are an indescribable gift your birth and Christ's death and you can't argue with me about that you can try but it doesn't fly your birth and Christ's death prove that you are invaluable to a holy God I want you to imagine a a, a beautiful vase an ornate vase One that is really expensive because it's a beautiful work of art. And it sits up on a shelf somewhere to be observed, maybe in a museum. It doesn't hold any flowers. It doesn't do anything. It's just beautiful. And so people come and admire it if you admire those kind of things. But right next to it, you have a a vase that's not as pretty. It's cracked. It's got, you know, some some visible marks on it. It's, It's definitely not ornate. It might could hold some water, but it would leak. You know, if you put some flowers in it, it probably wouldn't last very long because it it is not the same as this beautiful, ornate vase that is up on the shelf. Now, imagine that you are one of those vases, and which one of them would you be, right? You would be the one that's not as ornate and as beautiful, the one that's got cracks, that's, you know, got some holes in it. But you are beautiful because of what's inside. There's a secret inside. That other people may not conceive because, you know, in our society, that's, that's what we do. That's how we judge a person by the externals, right? We look at the outward appearance. And if you're beautiful, then you're worth something. If you're not so beautiful, then we don't have time for you. Unless you got a lot of money because money seems to trump everything, right? I, I don't know how many of you have watched, you know, professional sports and you, you see players after the game and you see them with a beautiful woman. You're thinking, there's no way you would have gotten that woman if you didn't play sports, right? But if, you're, if you've got money, you've got talent, you've got ability, that's how we're judged, right? 
Oftentimes by our society, you are someone or something if you have affluence, if you have power, if you have money and those kind of things. But to God, none of those externals really matter. When God looks at us, he sees something on the inside that takes his breath away, right? Because you were made in the image of God. You are beautifully framed and stamped with his image. That makes you valuable no matter what society says. Yes, a result of society's influence, we try to, we try to hide the marks, don't we? We try to cover up you know, the fact that we're you know, maybe not as beautiful in comparison. Even though we know that society's standard is flawed, we still buy into it, right? But the only accurate barometer of your, of your worth comes from a divine vantage point. That's the only assessment that matters, right? Doesn't matter how society views you. Society can be wrong and is wrong most times, right? Such a viewpoint, like society has, is a black hole. But an accurate view of oneself must come from the divine vantage point. This assessment is accurate in every detail because God is infinite and perfect and he doesn't make mistakes. Creation establishes your worth. Our personal worth is inseparably tied to the fact that we were made by God. Your life has value because you were uniquely framed and stamped with the image of the Almighty. God loves you because we are His. He established our worth through the act of creating us. By giving us life, He gave us priceless value. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself, well, I, I know that to be true, Chris. Everything that God made is good, but I messed it up. And I would say, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, that's true. We all have messed up. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But remember these words. You know, we often look at 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. Why can't Romans 5 be the love chapter? I love Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Have you ever looked looked at it that way that if God loved you when you were an enemy how much more does he love you when you're a child the cross also establishes your value Christ died for you even though you were unlovable and unworthy even though you were openly defiant even though you were living in rebellion even though you were tainted with the ugliness of sin you were beautiful to God he saw you worth the risk you can be self-deprecating you can opt out of service because you feel that you are worthless you can you can come up with every excuse in the book as to why you are not good enough but you cannot ignore the facts that God loves you and he proved it by sacrificing his son on a cruel cross. Again, you can argue with me about that, but I win. People come to me and they say, and I understand it because I do the same thing sometimes. They say, I just, I, I don't think God could ever forgive me for all I've done. And I always say, don't sell my God short. Absolutely he can forgive you. No amount of sin greater than the grace of God, right? Leo Alexander, who served as a consultant to the Secretary of War and was on duty with the Office of Chief Counselor for War Crimes in Nuremberg, Germany, where I was born, uh, he says that what happened with the Holocaust in Nazi Germany all started with the acceptance of the attitude 
there is, that there is such a thing as a life not worthy to be lived. The main thrust behind the Holocaust, the senseless killing of millions of Jews, was the thinking that there are some who do not deserve to live. Hopefully, you understand that from the perspective of God, all human beings are viable and valuable because we were all fearfully and wonderfully made. I've told you before that I served for three years on the board of pregnancy resources. I've actually gone back, and so I'm in an advisory role with pregnancy resources here in Abilene. And if you don't know much about them, come talk to me. I can, I can teach you a lot about them, and I can get you set up to take a tour. Uh, pregnancy Resources is a wonderful nonprofit here in Abilene that works with, uh, with young ladies and even, you know, their, their boyfriend or, or husband that are abortion-minded. Uh, that's just an easy summary. They do other services. So anytime you hear on TV or through a politician that, you know, we need Planned Parenthood because they provide other services, no, no, Pregnancy Resources provides every service that they provide, and we have a lot of those uh, in our area, not just in Abilene. Anyway, so Pregnancy Resources offers free services, a lot of other services, free services, and one of those is that a woman that is abortion-minded is given the opportunity to have a free ultrasound and listen to the heartbeat. And you would be amazed at the reaction that so often comes from a young lady and her boyfriend or husband who, uh, who hears that heartbeat for the first time. You know, they also give the young lady a teddy bear because a lot of times they come in scared. You know, I, my eyes were open. There is a whole nother demographic out there that I never come in touch with. And we can sit here on our you know, political stoop and say, you know, abortion's wrong and we can hammer on that and I agree with you. But understand that there are women who are scared to death that if they don't have an abortion, their boyfriend's going to leave them, going to beat them. They're going to be tossed aside. Again, they're coming from a place that I, I, I never really got in touch with, you know. And so these women come in, they're scared to death and they hear the heartbeat, they get a teddy bear one particular woman came in, and she was a young lady, very young, and she was, she was abortion-minded, and they, they did the ultrasound. They gave her a teddy bear, and her rough and tough boyfriend, I mean, he, he looked pretty rough. He looked like he, you know, he could spit nails, and he was, he was mad, and he, did, he didn't even want to be there. And he comes in there, and they, they, they let her see the ultrasound, and him see the ultrasound, and they, they let him hear the heartbeat, and he goes, uh, can I have one of them teddy bears? Says, yeah, Absolutely. I wish I could tell you that every woman who comes in there changes her mind. But they don't. And what I love about this organization is they don't give up on them. If they decide to go ahead and have an abortion, Pregnancy Resources keeps in touch with them and reaches out to them because they know that the vast majority of the time, those who go through with an abortion suffer greatly in the long term. Little things will set them off. They'll hear the vacuum and the suction of it, and they break down. They deal with guilt and shame, something that Planned Parenthood and other organizations don't talk about as much. It's a very difficult thing for them to overcome, and Pregnancy Resources 
loves on them and helps them and ministers to them. You know why? Because sanctity of life. Life in the womb or life outside the womb. It all matters. And I want to end this way. I am as convicted as anybody on this subject. But I'm also a convicted sinner. And I know that there are people who have dealt with this in a very personal way. Maybe some that are here tonight. And I want to help you. And our shepherds want to help you. If you've dealt with abortion on a very personal level, you don't have to answer the invitation. You have to do that publicly. This is the place for you. This family will love you and help you to heal. Conviction and compassion, we've got to be balanced, right? Let us help you. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the staff members or one of the elders. And understand this. All life matters to God because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't walk out of here without hope. And don't walk out of here thinking that you are less than. Because God demonstrates his own love toward you in that while you were yet sinner, Christ died for you. Wade's going to lead us in a song. Can we help you tonight? Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?